0: Okay, I think we can make a start. We're coming back to the book of Joshua. We've been looking at this book from an overview perspective as it deals with the theme of possessing the land. Certainly, it's God's faithfulness in fulfilling his promise to give Israel the land that is the overriding theme that is demonstrated all the way through the book. But we're looking at it particularly from the standpoint, then, of what it is to advance the kingdom. And there are going to be implications and applications of this theme, both corporately, as we think of the promise that Christ has given concerning the church, that he would build his church, so that not even the gates of hell could withstand the advancing of the church. So you have a corporate application, but also a very... Uh, personal at individual application as this becomes a great picture of our sanctification, our dying under sin and living under righteousness. We know that we have the promise of God that sin no longer has dominion over us, but there is a daily struggle. So this is the two basic themes, that every advance, first of all, depends upon God And then every advance depends upon us. This is the third then of our session, and I think I'm scheduled to do this next uh, week as well. I've not been here uh, much, but I think we can finish up most of our thoughts concerning this. But I want to read today as we begin from chapter 12 at verse 7, and then we'll skip down. So Joshua 7, or verse 12, Chapter 12, verse 7. And these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel smote on this side, Jordan, on the west. Now, verse 9. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one the King of Lachish, one, the King of Eglon, one, the King of Gezer one, the King of Debir one, the King of Geter, one, the King of Hormah, one, the King of Arad one, the King of Libna one, the King of Adullam one, the King of Macada one, the King of Bethel One, the king of Tapua one, the king of Hepar one, the King of Apak, one, the King of Lasharan one, the King of Madon. one, the King of Hatsor, one, the King of Shimran Meran one, the King of Akshaf one, the King of Tanak one the king of Megiddo, one, the king of Kedesh, one, the king of Jachnam, of Carmel, one, the king of Dor, in the coast of Dor, one, the king of the nations of Gilgal, one, the king of Terzah, one, all the kings, 30 and one. Let's pray. O Lord, we would ask now that as we Have our Bibles open together and consider this theme of advancing the kingdom, both as it relates to the growth of the church and as it relates to our spiritual growth individually. We ask, O Lord, that Thou would teach us and reveal to us those things that would be profitable for us as we seek to live before Thee to Thy glory. So do guide our thoughts today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Somewhat of an unusual passage. My guess is that there is no one here that have selected anything from verse 9 to the end of the chapter as their life verse. Uh, Why is that there? You know, why is that there? Let's understand that those verses are just as much inspired. They are just as much authoritative and just as much profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and righteousness uh, as John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But we do have to wonder sometimes as to what the purpose of a text like that would be. But let's put it in the context of what we're talking about here in the book of Joshua. We're talking about possessing our possession, possessing the land, And I say we have these two great themes that God is fighting for us, that God has promised the victory, and that then, secondly, that we must respond to that in our possessing the land ourselves. God fought and we must fight. And what this teaches us in the context then of possessing the land, uh, a couple of things. A couple of things, and we'll go back to where we left off in our discussion last time that we were together. Start with Jericho. That was the first. That was the first of the cities that were conquered as Joshua led the armies of Israel across the Jordan on the dry ground. And we considered something of that in our discussion last time, as I recall, that we were together. But after Jericho, there was I. And there was another battle. And ultimately, God gave the victory at Ai. But after Ai, there was Jerusalem, and then Hebron, and on it goes. That one battle follows another. Now think of what that says concerning our sanctification. And our sanctification is not just that we have one victory and now we're good for the rest of life. Uh, it is not that we just have one experience of a, a triumph over sin or temptation, and that does it. We're set for life. No, uh, you know and I know uh, that as temptation comes and the Lord gives us victory over this temptation, uh, that before we know it, we're confronting another. After every Jericho, there's an eye, and after every eye, there's a Jerusalem, and on and on it goes. So one battle after the other. That's why we talk about progressive sanctification, Uh, that we are progressing. Remember the very definition of sanctification that we have in the Shorter Catechism, Westminster. Uh, It's the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. That's God's work. That's what God does. But then on the basis of that, we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. There's a progressiveness There's a progressiveness, and I don't care how holy you are, I don't care how mature you are in the Christian faith, uh, there's going to be one battle after the other uh, until ultimately we reach our glorification. So on the one hand, I see in this what appears to be an unprofitable uh, list of kings, that lesson that there's one battle after the other uh, if we're going to advance the kingdom. But on the other hand, here are victories. Every one of these are victories. And as Joshua now has come uh, to this point, some of these battles are over. And now he begins to reflect, and he begins to count his blessings, if you will. You know, when I was growing up, there was a song that we sometimes—we weren't exclusive psalmody when I grew up. And there was a song that we would sing sometimes— count count your blessings, name them one by one, yeah, whatever, whatever, I forget all the words, but you were to count your blessings and name them one by one, see what God has done. And that's a sense what's happening here, right? Uh, These reflecting upon the past victories, uh, this victory and this counting the blessings, naming them one by one to be impressed with the wonder that God has done. And that's an important theme as well, to be thankful. And to recognize that God has interfered for us and God has intervened for us uh, in our struggles over sin our progressing to possess indeed our possession all right but if you still have the outline I don't I don't have any more of these but whatever uh, we're, we're looking at the first major point that every advance depends on God and We were considering last time that God works in various ways uh, to accomplish his purpose and to keep his word. Sometimes the works are obvious and we spend some time there looking at Jericho. Uh, The very first battle uh, was to go against this large fortified city. Uh, Israel had no military experience. Uh, They were not experienced in warfare. Uh, And here were these Cities that were so impressive. Remember the spies when they went uh, into the land uh, in Numbers 13 or so, and they came back and reported concerning what they had seen. One of the things that they were impressed with, they have cities that are fortified to heaven. Uh, and this was a great defensive mechanism, uh, if you will. Can we see this even as the gates of hell, right? The, here are the gates of hell uh, that cannot prevail against the advancing of the the kingdom of Christ. So in that miraculous way, uh, no battle to be fought. You just go, you march around the city on once a day, and then on the seventh day, you march around the seventh time, blow your horn, and the walls will come down and there was the great victory. Uh, an obvious, an obvious work of God. And I say sometimes the works of God are obvious. We don't have the miracles, supernatural things as it were taking place today, but we can look at Uh, the providence of God uh, in the building of the church and the advancing of the church and what has happened in our own lives. And we can say, yes, God obviously has directly uh, intervened in our behalf. But I say sometimes, and here's where we left off, sometimes his works are preemptive that we don't really see. But the Lord said, I'm going to send the hornets. Remember, I think it's in chapter 24 of Joshua. The Lord said, I send the the hornet uh, before you. Uh, I, I don't take that literally, necessarily, although if, you, if you've ever been chased by hornets, uh, it's not a bad way to settle issues as well here. remember one time I was working for a landscaper, and I put my lawnmower over. I couldn't see it, just a hole in the ground, right? And next thing you know, I'm swarmed, uh, and you ran for all your life. Uh, so there, there may be a literal sense here as well, but figuratively, we know what happens with hornets. Uh, And God put the fear uh, of Israel in the hearts of these people before Israel even set foot in the land. Uh, We saw that in Jericho. Remember uh, Rahab uh, when she's talking to the spies and we've heard about you. We've heard what God did. We have heard about all of these things and put the fear uh, within us. Uh, Same thing in chapter 5. They they heard about what God... So I say there are times when God protects us in ways that we don't understand. Uh, We know that providentially, how many times have we heard stories and perhaps even in our own life where uh, something has been prohibited here and then we learn that had we been there that there would have been some some issue, some problem, some accident, some whatever. Uh, God preemptively works. He's in control. He knows the end from the beginning. And he directs our lives and he purposes our lives uh, and he governs the circumstances. So we see that certainly in uh, the book of Joshua. And then sometimes I say his work is not obvious, uh, but nonetheless operative. There are some times, there are some times when God works that it seems to us, uh, it seems to us that he's not uh, working at all. Uh, that he has abandoned us because we 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 find our, we seem to be in a hard providence, uh, and it, all of the hostility and all of the enemies are facing us, whether personally or corporately. Uh, it it seems as though uh, God uh, is not working, uh, and Book of Joshua illustrates that a couple of times. I, I talked a little bit last time I recall about the nature of. Uh, the the political structure of Palestine uh, during this time, uh, all of these independent city-states, all right, all of these independent city-states where there was no relationship that all of these little kingdoms had one with the other. Uh, that's why when Jericho fell, uh, I still had to be conquered. And when I was conquered, Jerusalem still had to be conquered, and then Hebron, and then Hotzor and Lakeith. All of these were independent uh, city-states, not like a centralized government that we are familiar with uh, here. If you, if you capture the capital city, you pretty much have the whole nation. But there was no capital city. Uh, all of these independent uh, cities that were used to fighting among themselves uh, as they tried to increase their little borders here or there and expand their territory as much as they could, uh, but they were all, I say, independent, one from the other. So, but what happens then? Again, because God had put the fear of Israel in the hearts of these people. What, what happened to Jericho, that, that spread. all right. The news of Jericho spread. Uh, here are our cities. Here are our principal defensive mechanisms. And all these people have to do is march around and blow a horn, and that's the end of it for us. The end of it. So instead of relying then upon their own historically proved uh, defense, the walls, where normally normally warfare I- I- in this setting, you, you'd lay siege, all right? you'd lay siege against the city, uh, you would prevent uh, you would prevent those from going out and those from going in cutting off the supply chain yeah uh, and there would you'd starve them out all right but that would take months and that would take years at times but now what god had done first of all in destroying jericho the way he did we we can't trust our cities these walls mean nothing to these people so all of these that were historically enemies one with the other. Uh, They were fighting among themselves. Now they ally themselves together. They come out of their cities. They come out of their cities. They form an alliance. You see this in chapter 10 and chapter 11, two different situations, where they come out of their fortified cities. They enter into a confederacy one with the other. That was unheard of. That was absolutely unheard of. Uh, in Palestine during those days. They were always fighting among themselves. But now there's a common enemy. There's a common enemy uh, that they don't know how to control. So they come out. They come out of their cities, and now with their chariots of iron and all of their military expertise, they're going to fight against Israel. Now, my guess is, my guess is that when Joshua and uh, Israel uh, learned of this co- these coalitions, Uh, of kings that were coming out, uh, it had to put fear in their hearts. Where's God? I thought God was going to fight for us. And now all of these peoples, all of these enemies are coming collectively. We stand no chance whatsoever uh, in their thinking, in their thinking. Uh, But it appeared, I say, that God had let them on their own. It appeared that God had abandoned them, but no, the text makes it clear that even in this, the Lord uh, was was in control. In chapter 10 uh, and verse 42, it makes this statement. Here's all these kings, and here's the wonder of it, and here's, here's the reason for it. Look at chapter 10, verse 42. And all these kings and their land did Joshua take at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. I say, when that coalition first became known, it had to be fearful. They're intimidated. We can't go against uh, all of that weapon. We, we don't have chariots of iron like they have chariots of iron. We don't, ha- we don't have. But they came, and Israel confronted them. And in chapter 10, in one day, in one day, God enabled the armies of Israel to have a victory that would have taken years and years and years to have accomplished if normal warfare uh, were being employed one day one day now you know what happens in chapter 10 as well uh, that one day took a miracle as well right uh, there was the hail and whatever that came down from heaven and we have the sun and the moon standing still uh, and different interpretations as to what that is and what happened. Um, But it was supernatural. And whatever it was, was God's intervention. It was that which was stupendous. It was that which was supernatural. And God gave the victory. And God was fighting. And you, you look at chapter 11, where the next coalition, here's a remarkable statement again that shows the Lord uh, was in control. Verse 20, For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, that they should come against Israel in battle, that he may destroy them utterly, and they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord hardened their hearts. The Lord, it was God that gave all of those kings the idea to form a coalition. It was God manipulating them. Did they know it? Of course not. Did Israel know it? Not by sight. Not by sight. All they saw now were these massive armies that were coming out uh, against them to fight. But I say even in those circumstances where it appears where it appears that God has lost control, where it appears that God is no longer operating directly. Oh, you don't, you don't, there was only one Jericho. Yeah. Jericho only happened once. Other times they had to go in and fight, but God was with them. God was fighting for them. God was fighting the battles. God was expelling the Canaanites. But again, they had to employ their own, uh, their own agencies would have been discouraging. And, and I, w- I was thinking of this, you know, we look at the day in which we live as far as the advancing of the kingdom of Christ is concerned. Uh, seemed like the world's against the church. It seems like all the forces of government are against the church. All the hostility, all of the things that we hear are being planned and being done that are seemingly. Where's God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? How can, If God is so great and if God is so good and dependable for his people, then how come? How is it that all this stuff is happening that we hear uh, on the news and we read in the reports of what Congress is doing and all of the... How can it be? How can it be? And it's easy for us. It's easy for us in the midst of that to become intimidated. It's easy for us to stand back and say, you know, God is He's abandoned us. He's abandoned us. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how God is going to work, but there is nothing. All right? There was nothing the Canaanites could do to frustrate God's purpose to give them the land a promise. There was nothing that they could do to frustrate or alter God's promise and God's plan for them to inherit that land now is there a promise? Christ has said, I'm going to build my church I'm going to build my church now will he or won't won't he? Uh, we look at it and, and say, we see, it seems to be retreat. there seems to be retreat. there's so much hostility we don't see, it. but can we learn? Can I learn? Can you learn what what it is to walk? By faith and not by sight. And to know with confidence that even though everything appears to be contrary to the advancing of the church, that Christ is going to advance his church. And there's nothing, there is absolutely nothing ultimately that can withstand the advancing of that kingdom. I don't know where we are in the whole scheme of things. Uh, I, I know that there are battles that we have to fight. And I know that there are obstacles that seem to be looming so huge uh, as we conduct ourselves in that battle. But can we learn from Joshua? Can we learn from this, that God is going to give us this victory? He's going to give us Jerusalem and Hebron and Jarmuth and Lachish one by one, one by one, one by and the gates of hell. The gates of hell, and I think I've given you my interpretation of that verse before. But you know, the gates are are, are the defensive mechanisms. The defenses. I, I I hear sometimes it explained that the gates of hell, are the, as they come against the church, won't prevail. But gates don't. Gates aren't offensive weapons. The gates were the defensive weapons, and it's saying there that in the advancing that the gates of hell cannot cannot withstand, just as Jericho could not withstand, neither can the gates of hell withstand. And those of us that are believers are are, are witnesses of that, every one of us as believers. Our brands have been plucked from that burning. Uh, that hell has been invaded, if you will, uh, in terms of even the evangelism of God's people so God's in control God is working even now when we get so discouraged with what we read happening from Washington and all the and all the conspiracies and all God is in control God is in control and God is manipulating and doing things from our perspective behind the scenes to ensure the fulfillment of his promise. But one final observation here concerning God's part, God's work in advancing the kingdom, and it is that he ordained leaders. God is active. God is active, but he works often through secondary agents. He works through his ministers. There was Moses. And we have seen in the first five books, Exodus through Deuteronomy anyway, the function of Moses, the great prophet, the great leader, and all that he was able to do in delivering the people from the land of bondage, bringing them now to the very verge of the promised land. And how much of a leader was Moses. But Joshua begins with Moses being dead. Moses is dead. As great as he was, as great as he was, the work of the kingdom did not depend upon Moses. Moses was dead. And God raises up Joshua. And Joshua now was able to do something that Moses could not do. And God gave Joshua the same kind of promises that he gave to Moses. I'm going to be with you. And all of the reputation that Moses had now is being transferred uh, over to Joshua. But that's the pattern. That God, in his providence, in his way, he doesn't need men. He doesn't need men for the advancing of his purpose, for the advancing of his cause. But God uses secondary agents. uses the wicked what he wants. But in the scope of uh, his church. Uh, he uses ministers, elders. Uh, he, he raises up men uh, to lead. He speaks to them, all right, and, and you see this pattern all the way through Joshua. God said something to Joshua, and then Joshua told the people. God said something to Joshua, and Joshua told the priests. God said something to Joshua, and he relayed that. He was the mouthpiece, all right? He was the mouthpiece uh, of the Lord, and God used him. But again, the the fact of the matter is uh, that there is no one man that is indispensable. Uh, no one man is indispensable. Moses, as great as he was, wasn't indispensable. Uh, none of us are. Oh, sometimes we think we are. Sometimes we think that nobody that, that you know the work is going to fall. You know, uh, you know. I, I look at my ministry and. You know, what's, what's going to happen to Hebrew classes once, I, once I'm gone? You know, is are just going to... There, there they go. There they go. No. Uh, I'm not the only one, right? I'm not the only one. Uh, there's none of us that are... It, but God works through men. And these men that God raises up are his gifts. You think of what Paul says in Ephesians. I think what Paul says in Ephesians is he looks at the the gifts that he has given uh, to the church. He's given some apostles and some evangelists and some pastor teachers, right, for the edification, for the edification of the church. And that's a very humbling thing for those of us that have been called into the ministry. Uh, It's a very sobering thing, Uh, and it's one that never ought to be taken lightly. And I don't say this lightly. I remember once, years ago, my, my mother was still alive. Uh, I, I was preaching, and she was in the congregation hearing me preach. And I was talking about Ephesians 4, I made the statement, you know, that I'm God's gift to you, all right? I'm God's gift to you. Uh, and, and she rebuked me afterwards, right, as mothers like to do, uh, and said, I was, I said, Mom, you missed the point you missed the point, it's a very humbling thing, uh, that every minute is God's gift for the welfare and for the building up and the edification of the church. That's why we need, and I trust that you do pray for those that are in leadership here, uh, that God has raised up as pastors and teachers and elders uh, for the ministry here. You pray for them. Uh, They are for your benefit, they're for your good, and they're God's gift to you. Uh, and to me, uh, and we need to hold them up uh, indeed uh, before the Lord. Uh, they got the word from the Lord. They got the word from the Lord, and then they gave that word then to the people. So there's God, all right? There's God, uh, and what what he does, all right? So we hit three ideas there basically that God Guarantees victory, he works in various ways, and he works through his leaders. Well, we're going to stop there. Time is gone. Next week, I'm scheduled, I think, to be here. Um, And we'll finish this up, and we'll look at then what our role is. Every advance depends upon God, but every advance depends upon us as well. There's going to be a cooperation between what God does and what then we do by faith in what God has said. Okay, let's close in prayer. Our dear Lord, we give thanks for Thy Word. Thy Word that is inspired and infallible and profitable for us. Lord, we confess that sometimes when we read a text like we started off with today, we have to sometimes scratch our heads and ask, what's what's the purpose of this? What's the profit of this? But Lord, we realize that you never say anything to us by uh, vain purposes, that there is a reason that you say everything that you say to us. Uh, Let us then be keen to find out that purpose. So Lord, we're keenly aware of the constant battles and we're keenly aware of thy good hand that has given blessing after blessing and victory after victory. So help, Lord, we pray. Help, O Lord, we pray. Thou art the maker of heaven and of earth. And we pray in Jesus' name.